So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello and welcome to Everyday Connection Now with your hosts, Jean Victoria Norlock and Rick O'Shields. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this now edition of Everyday Connection. I am, yet again, Rico Shields, and more or less straight in front of me, some, I don't know, thousands of miles, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I'm feeling lighter. Lighter. Lighter is lighter. good. That's that whole lighter. enlightenment thing, right? Enlighten up. <laughs> right? Lighten right? up. Get lighter. Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been an interesting afternoon here. I actually tackled a chore today that I have been putting off for seven years. Yeah. Oh my, we know about that seven year thing. That can be quite interesting, really. <sighs> um, so quick background on the story. Uh, most of our regulars listeners know now that that almost ten years ago my parents both passed away, um, a day and a half apart. And left me with a household to deal with, along with dealing with the loss of both my parents at the same time. So um, that was a big mess, but <laughs> I did survive and grow, and and I'm so much stronger now than I was. However, along with that comes a certain amount of responsibility. And cleaning out my parents' house, one of the things that I had found and kept were my mom's cards. My mom was a card sender. She would send people cards for no reason just to say I love you and um, she would buy them in advance and in bulk so she had left me with a bunch of blank cards and then when my grandmother passed away a few years back again same thing here I did have another box of blank cards that had been meant to be given out to people both boxes got put together into one box as we've been moving repeatedly over the last seven or eight years from town to town and house to house and um, life to life. So glad to be settled and that that's over. Um, but so having gotten into my dream home, having settled into this new life and having been in the process of preparing to open my studio, I thought that today it's a bright, sunshiny fall day, beautiful out. I thought today would be a good day to tackle the task of getting all of my stuff prepared for when I'm starting to sell my art again. So get through all my wrapping stuff, my packing materials, get them all organized in boxes, and finally go through those cards that have been shoved from house to house in a box for the last eight years and been added to over the eight years as well. I have to point out that I've been adding to it They've never been organized. I've never gone through them. I've never seen some of the cards that my mom and my grandmother and 
you know, other family members have bought. So I went through them today and I organized them because I'd really like to have a personal card every time I do a painting or sell a painting. I'd like to have a personalized card, a thank you card with it. Right. So it's all part of that getting, yeah, it's all part of that getting that old stuff cleared out and getting ready to to be in in a position to be able to easily gift people with things. That, That was my mentality on doing it. But... I had no idea how in alignment it was with yesterday's guest until I got near the end. And talking, this is a big box of cards. I did manage to get through it. But I started finding cards that my mom and my grandmother had purchased for specific people in the family. And one really got me. And I had to take a minute, shed a few tears. But my mom had actually, my father passed away shortly before his 63rd birthday. Um... And she had actually already, as sick as she was, she had actually already bought a card for Dad's birthday. They they were both very sick for a long time, but she'd already she'd already bought a card, and she had sticky noted it in case she was too sick to to send it out. She had sticky noted it with um, handwriting that says bears. That's what she called my dad all their married life was her bear, um, bear's 63rd birthday. So that was. That was a hard one to look at. I haven't actually read the card yet. I'm not. I'm not I haven't gotten that far that yet. Just yet. I haven't gotten that far yet. However, in light of yesterday's guest and her her idea that um, that these writing down these say, gratitude points. Well, no, it's, it's it's more than that. It's it's eulogies. These things that we say to people oh, yeah. after they've passed on. Be outlawed so that people would say them before I just want you to know having gone through all my mom's cards that she had bought there were a lot of cards in there to my brothers to her sisters to my grandmother that she never got the opportunity to me that she never got the opportunity to send so so no more waiting don't leave the things no more waiting absolutely our guest said it Absolutely. should be illegal to say anything in a eulogy that you did not actually say to the person during their life. Um, so, you know, no more of this tear-filled, I wish I had had the opportunity to say. Say it. Say it now. When the idea Absolutely. comes, when the idea comes, let the words out your mouth. Uh, you know, say, well, we were busy cleaning the kitchen. That's all right. That's a good time. Uh, actually, I come up with lots of neat ideas when I clean the kitchen, so... So no meditation point. Absolutely. So 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 no more waiting. And so basically, my my day was spent opening a box of gratitude because here is this beautiful box of cards that have been collected by these women over the years to give to people that they loved. And I'm now going to be able to use them to give to people that I appreciate and that I love. So, you know, that's been my day. It's been a little bit emotional, but. Focusing on the gratitude. Those things happen. And, and the and the expression of it, expressing it to others, being able to gift them with your gratitude for, for all that they are and all that they represent in your life. Don't wait to do it, though. That's absolutely... you might end up just being a card in a box. Yeah, that that doesn't even get looked at for 10 years. So, yeah. you know, that's a thing um 
But yeah, we we also talked about on the show how gratitude was key to uh, your overcoming of chronic illness and my overcoming of. Uh, I hate to call it chronic because it's only you know been six years and uh, temporary neuropathy. Yeah, and and uh, well, and I used to tell people when they would ask you know what's the problem, I I would say well I have nerve damage in my legs, and I said that today in my head and and. And then out immediately out loud said, wait. And so now I'm going to tell people I'm having nerve uh, regrowth and realignment in my legs. But um, Excellent. But I know that uh, gratitude and uh, as it relates to well-being was, uh, is also part of uh, the story of tonight's guest, today's guest. Uh, and so... I think we should introduce our guest, and he may have something to say about what you were talking about. He just might. Let's so, get him on here. Um, we have with us today from uh, beautiful California, San Rafael, uh, Dr. Larry Berkelhammer. Larry, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on your program. I'm glad you could uh, find some time to share with us. It's wonderful to have you. So, Larry, we'll get started with the big question, and then we'll see where the see where the conversation takes us. And uh, maybe we'll talk more about the importance of gratitude, because it's always a super fun topic. Who on earth are you, and what do you do? I'm a retired uh, psychotherapist. Uh, I had worked with I had worked exclusively with patients with chronic medical conditions of all types. I had also worked with cancer survivors. And we worked on how to achieve a better quality of life despite what they were living with. A lot of people had the a lot of people have the idea that once they're struck down by an illness, uh, their life is over. And the fact is, their life may be forever different, but it can be every bit as rich as it was before, even if they're in a wheelchair or debilitated in any other number of ways, life can still be every bit as rich as it was before. And it's just a matter of learning how to live your life in different ways. And that was basically... Uh, how I help people. And so um, I closed my practice. I'm 66 and live with chronic illness myself and needed more time to take care of myself. So I closed my practice a couple of years ago, wrote a book, uh, which hasn't has not yet gone to press. I don't yet have a publisher, but um, I do maintain a website, and that takes a lot of my time where I share all the information with people that I have found to work. Um, Also, I did a very thorough literature review looking at epidemiological studies, trying to answer the question, what can people do beyond good self-care and good medical care? In other words, if you're already eating a good diet and you're already 
getting plenty of exercise every day, and you're already getting enough sleep, and you're already getting good medical care, is there anything else? And the anything else is what I write about. My website is full of that information. And, uh, you know, it's everything ranging from mindfulness practice to identifying what matters to you in life and prioritizing your time so that you're spending your time every day focused on what matters most to you instead of wasting time um, in front of the TV or just or doing things that don't matter. Um, there are a lot of practices that I've that I write about, things like practicing a for, having a formal gratitude practice. Uh, people feel better when they practice expressing gratitude, even if they don't say it to anyone else, just feeling a sense of gratitude. You know, when you look around and you see people who are always going around complaining about everything, they're pretty unhappy and they're they're not healthy. And maybe when they're young, they can get away with it. But at a certain point, we really need to take, take care of our mental health in order to preserve our physical health. So there are a lot of practices like that that I advocate and that I write about. So you 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 found that the mental body, if you will, and the physical body are intimately connected. They're they're really the same. The way I explain it to people is, and there's nothing weird about this at all. It's not woo. It's hard science, and basically it's this: whenever you find yourself experiencing emotional distress. Emotional distress is something that doesn't go on just in the mind. Emotional distress is physical because whenever we experience emotional distress, regardless of the cause of the emotional distress, whenever we experience it, we, we then, it, that translates into physiological stress. And the problem with physiological stress is we're all predisposed to various diseases. And so if you're experiencing emotional distress, that will be translated into physiologic stress. And when physiologic stress becomes chronic, then whatever diseases we are predisposed to are much more likely to manifest. You know, genetic predispositions or... Uh, exposure to toxins or um, poor lifestyle. Um, right, because the there, there, there's the lots of people that... Under, the more likely we are to, to get sick. Yeah, because there's lots of people that may have a genetic marker for a certain disease and never express it. Uh, perhaps more so than the, the number that do. Uh, and, and, and this might be one of those factors. That's that's true in almost all cases. Not all cases, because if you have a genetic marker for, let's say, Huntington's disease, um, then there's little you can do. There are certain diseases out there where if you have the genetic marker, you're you're going to get the disease. Well, sure. 
for the vast majority of diseases, you can you can have the genetic markers, and if you're doing everything right in your life, you can dramatically improve your odds and reduce reduce the chance of actually getting sick. Just have to take a deep breath for a minute to um, celebrate the fact that we have somebody on who's speaking about the fact that science backs up this idea of using your emotions and your mind to heal your body. And when I say think yourself well, I mean you have to change your thinking in order to get well. I don't mean just sit there and think of yourself as being whole and healthy, which does help, but there are certain things that you have to address within your own life, certain changes that you will have to make within your own life to improve upon your health. And first you have to figure out what those changes are. So one of the most important questions I always say to people when they tell me that they're sick, having also wrote a book about getting your health back, from what was a terminal or chronical, chronic illness, sorry, chronic pain and fractured spine and blah, 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 whatever you want to say about the illnesses that I've managed to get out of bed from, none of that matters. The how it happened or what it is called doesn't matter when you get down to it. What matters is I wasn't happy living the life that I was living and it made me super, super sick. So you always have to ask that first question, are you happy? And if you're not happy, why not? That, that's, that's a very important point, um, because now the studies actually uh, have correlated happiness with um, medical health or illness. Uh, we used to think that Happy people are not necessarily healthy Healthy people. They're just happy. Uh, and that you could be unhappy and still be healthy, or, or you, could be, you could be very happy and be unhealthy. We now know that those two, two things do correlate, because when we're happy in our lives, we're under less emotional distress, therefore less physiologic stress. So the body is going to function optimally uh, when we're happy. It doesn't mean that we're then immune from getting injured or sick, but but at least we improve our odds the happier we are. And even besides that, if for no other reason, why go through life miserable when we have the power to change the way we live our lives? We we all deserve to be happy and that's what that's what life is for. Amen. We didn't come down here to you know, have a rough time, um, and 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 but it does. It has, it has. There's biochemical correlations with when you feel rotten emotionally. Um, I know um, Doctor uh, Dyer, Wayne Dyer, uh, was talking one time about a study about serotonin release when you do random acts of kindness, um, and. Uh, uh, and, and certainly with stress, you've got the adrenaline response, and but you're but then you're not getting up and fighting or flighting, and you're sitting in a chair, or lying in a bed, 
and uh, that doesn't go well on the body. That's really hard on the body, chronic uh, stress chemical release like that. To make you sick. I I'd like to tell you what one of my mentors said. Uh, I've trained with a lot of people in the fields of psycho oncology, psychoneuroimmunology, psychophysiology. And one of my mentors uh, just passed away not too long ago. Her name was Dr. Jean Ochterberg. And I'd like to, here's something she once said that I just love. It has always stayed with me. No thought, no emotion is without biochemical, electrochemical activity. And that activity leaves no cell untouched. So in other words, Every thought and every emotion, everything we feel and everything we experience affects every cell in the body. That's a very powerful statement, friend Larry. I like that very much. Absolutely. I I, I certainly believe it. Um, I think we need to stick that one for a connection clip. Right. It, it, Just call it truth. Connection truth. Case. Because it is. It, it, there sort of was this divorcing. Uh, it, it, science sort of started, and I guess it's natural. Science sort of started with, you know, okay, you need to have these amino acids because your body can't make them, so we'll, we'll be sure and eat these. And, and it was very – the physical body was treated very physical, almost other than the – Experience the 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 human inside the mind in, inside. However you want to say that, uh, whatever terms you want to use, that the body was just this thing that you know was like a machine, was like a car, and and um, and and totally separate. And um, and 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 good scientific studies are showing that that's just not the case. And uh, I think that's a, a wonderful step forward. Because it, it it then requires everybody in the medical field in the, of course you know you you talk about uh, neuro, neuropsychology and oncology psychology, um, there's still uh, you know a place perhaps to have someone that specializes in the physical side of it the that doctor and then the the psychologist that specializes in the other side of it, because they are sort of slightly different specialties, uh, you know. But that it that it re- deserves and requires that ho- that more holistic treatment of the individual, as opposed to, you know, okay, that's the uh, melanoma in room thirty-four. It's not just the melanoma in room thirty-four. It's Rick or Bob or Joe or George. Probably not George. You know, uh, there's a book that I'd like to recommend. There's a, One of my mentors was Lawrence Lachan. Uh He's still around. He's in his 90s now. And Lawrence Lachan wrote a book called Cancer as a Turning Point. Uh, it was published back in 1989, and it's still every bit as current. Uh, the book is made up of case studies of people he worked with as a psychotherapist over a, about a 40- or 50-year period, and all the people he worked with had very advanced metastatic disease. And in the book, he writes about people who 
had been told they may have a week to live or have a month to live. And a lot of these people, after working with Dr. Lushan, went on to live many, many years. And uh, some of them recovered completely. Um, and what he did with these people is he simply helped them find what really mattered to, mattered to them in life. Um, uh, for example, there was this one guy, uh, he refers to him in the book as Pedro. And Pedro uh, had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease um, and a very fatal cancer. And Pedro had been the warlord of some gang, a street gang in the South Bronx in New York, uh, one of the toughest uh, war zones, certainly in, in this country. And he was working with Pedro when Pedro was in the hospital, trying to get him to look at, well, what what matters to you? What could you possibly do now? And is there anything for you to look forward to? And what they, together, what they came up with is they're they trying to come up with a new career for Pedro. And what they came up with is firefighter. Because what a gang does, a street gang, is most of the time they're sitting around and hanging out. And every now and then there's, there's a, a gang war with another gang. Uh, and they start thinking, well, what career could be like that? And uh, firefighters are like that because most of the time they're sitting around and then, then all of a sudden there's a big adrenaline rush. There's a fire to fight and they could be in a life and death situation. And then when they're done, they go back to the station and uh, they're hanging out. So he helped Pedro have something to look forward to. Pedro, he, he helped Pedro prepare for the, the exams to take to get into the fire department, which he did, and he became a firefighter and completely recovered from his cancer. Um, and there are a lot of stories like that in Lachan's book. So it's it's really important to find something to live for. One of the other very famous people in this field is Norman Cousins, who of course wrote the book um, uh, well, I'm blanking on the name of it, <laughs> but it's about how he recovered from a, a life-threatening illness. He was in the hospital dying from uh, a very particularly acute and deadly form of ankylosing spondylitis, and he decided that a hospital is a terrible place to be when you're sick. So he checked himself out of the hospital against medical advice, checked himself into a hotel, and because he was a very famous person, he had been the uh, uh, the editor of the Saturday Evening Post. I think that's what it was. And he knew a lot of people. He knew, um, uh, well, I'm blanking his name, but the Funt, Alan, he knew, he was a good friend of Alan Funt, who had the, um, the TV show. Um, Candid Camera. Candid Camera. And uh, so Alan Funk brought over to his room all, uh, videos of uh, camera episodes. And he watched that. He watched Laurel and Hardy movies and Costello movies. And, and he laughed himself. He just laughed all day long. And the laughter 
constant laughter. In fact, he started doing this in, when he was still in the hospital. And the hospital was very upset with him because all the nurses were hanging out in his room and they weren't caring for the other patients. <laughs> and uh, Oh, Larry, so, you've made me smile. So, when, I, yeah. when I decided so, to stop taking the pain medication, uh-oh, Jane? I, this corresponds to what you're talking about, Larry, because um, when I was sick and trying to get out of bed and I didn't want the pain medication that the doctors were giving me, I wanted to get well. I didn't just want to mask, um, mask the pain and the problems. In order to get out of bed, the first thing I had to do was reduce my pain without pain medication, and I used Disney movies. I watched Disney movies for two weeks straight. And laughed my way out of off my off my bed. You know that I am not surprised at all because what you did in all that laughing is you changed the physiology. You changed so your sick your previously pain by the body you had that was in pain through all the laughing. You now had a different body. You you completely changed your biochemistry. And I, I still recommend it. I wrote about it in my third book, and I still recommend it today. That that if if you know if you can't get out of bed, and and the universe is simply not going to give you any more advice about where your future is going to go than get up if you're stuck in bed. My healing trick is anything and everything that can make you smile, whatever music makes you smile or laugh, videos, movies, whatever makes you smile and makes you happy. Do that for two weeks straight at least and just exclude everything else out of your life and be damned what your family and friends think. This is about you getting better. And you still, you still to this day occasionally take an afternoon and go watch comedians or whatever else. YouTube's a great resource because you've got all that stuff available. Absolutely. You don't have I'm to know Alan Funt. If I'm no, if I'm if I'm in pain and it's a, it's a rough day for me, I stop everything that I'm doing and I go find something that that makes me laugh, and I focus on that. It's my pain management trick, and it works. Yeah, because you know the reality is, we all have, you know, like for example, we take we take drugs from that are made by pharmaceutical industry, but when you think about it. You know, from a biochemical standpoint, the reason that drugs, that pharmaceutical drugs work is because we already have the receptors in our brains for those drugs. Now, why were we born with these receptors? We were born with the receptors. We certainly weren't born with receptors for pharmaceutical drugs. We were born with receptors for the physiological drug that's similar to that. So... Uh, in other words, we are able to make the drugs we need. We are able to make all the drugs we need. We don't need them from the pharmaceutical industry. The problem is, it's very challenging to be able to do that. There's no, there's no formula. There's no, um, no one has ever devised any form of mental training that allows us to predictably uh synthesize 
the drugs that our bodies need. And yet, when we engage in laughter, when we engage in gratitude, when we engage in anything that, that feels good, we actually do start making, we start making the drugs that our bodies need. You know, one of the things Norman Cousins said, who wrote uh, the book, I can't think of the name of but um, he said, what a person does or thinks can affect the kinds of prescriptions written for the body by the brain. What a person does or thinks can affect the kinds of prescriptions written for the body by the brain. So we are writing our own prescriptions all the time. And the problem is when we're going around feeling irritated, annoyed, angry, judgmental, negative, we're writing prescriptions for our bodies at that time, at those times. Only the problem is the, the prescriptions that we're writing are for drugs that can kill us, that make us sick. And so if we want to write prescriptions for the drugs that can keep us healthy, then we need to engage in activities and behaviors that make us feel really good about ourselves and feel good about the world. So exciting to hear you talk about it from the angle of science. It really is to have an actual doctor on here talking about this in a scientific manner. It's we have, taught in so many of the ancient traditions, really. Um, it's in the Bible, for goodness sakes. Well, and, and, and but, we've had people on like, uh, Kathleen, who wrote Surviving Cancerland, um, who talks about it. We we had this uh, just last night talking about gratitude, and don't just mm-hmm. think about it. Write it down. Uh, do something to 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 bring it out and really magnify it. Um, and it's a healing thing. Um, and and I have been saying since we started the show, much to you know. Gene doesn't like repetitiveness, but that there there is, I believe, this this convergence sort of going on between science and spirituality, if you want to use a broad label, uh, and 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 science can, I believe, help us sort of boil down. Oh, they were talking about laughing. They weren't talking about specifically going and listening to somebody, whatever it is that the passage said because that was what made people laugh 2,000 years ago and any comedian will tell you what makes people laugh changes over time and um, and the individual and, and, well, and, and, I mean, yeah um, and so the some of the things I, I believe that some of the things that have been turned into ritual were once upon a time just something that made you feel good or something that made you laugh or something that made you uh uh, helped you shift your, Happy. yeah, helped you shift your perception, helped you shift your experience, because it does it shifts the biochemistry almost immediately, and um, uh, you know we have 
this society that's rife with we must you know add we've got to get your serotonin levels up and now we're going to get your norepinephrine levels up these are all things that the body can do for itself so why and is it body, and when the body does it for itself it it actually does it with the exact formula that's just for us customized for us in exactly the right dose for us at exactly the right time Whereas when we're given drugs from a pharmaceutical industry, those drugs work have different effects on each person because although that's going to be changing in the future uh, because of the new field of pharmacogenomics, but right now all the drugs made by the pharmaceutical industry are made it's sort of a, as a one-size-fits-all. But when we make, when our own brains make these drugs, when we when we engage in healthy activities to synthesize these chemicals within our bodies, they are made by us for us. And so they work perfectly every time. The problem, the challenge, as I mentioned earlier, is in figuring out a way to, you know, like if I need epinephrine, what, what do I do? Well, I can change my state of mind, I can get excited about things, but there are so many chemicals, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of them, and we just, we don't yet know how to synthesize the right chemical at the right time. And so the thing that I recommend to people is find a way to live a happier life, because if you can live a happier, more rewarding life, you will uh, the body will will make the right chemicals, and so you know one of the yeah. things. No, no need to things, wait for genetically tailored medications because our bodies have been doing that for thousands of years under the right conditions. And there's there's something to be said about the lack of side effects as well with regards to not using the medications, but being able to to. <laughs> Doctors everywhere are going to cringe when I say this, but self-medicate. Um, when, when you can find a way to trigger those healing functions in your body and you're able to get away from the medications, the only side effect that you're going to get is that you're going to infect other people with happiness because that happiness that you're using to heal yourself is going to just spill out of you. And it's going to touch the people that are in your lives. So it has a snowball effect. And that beats the list of side effects that you'll see on most drug commercials any day, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. That's the selling point right there. <laughs> one, of the things, one of the things that we really have to do, though, um, is we have to have a reason uh, to live. We have to have a reason to get up in the morning. You know, a lot of people have lost the will to live, especially after they've been struck down by uh, a, a very traumatic bodily injury or uh, a very long-term chronic and serious and debilitating medical condition. Uh, they've lost the will to live because they, they can no longer do any of the things they used to live for. And so it's very important to find something new uh find new things new reasons to get up and to get up in the morning 
You know, I mentioned Norman Cousins earlier, and I thought of the book. His first book was called Anatomy of an Illness. And um, one of the things that Norman Cousins said is, the will to live is not a theoretical abstraction, but a physiologic reality with therapeutic characteristics. So most psychotherapists think, well, if someone is depressed, we need to help them find a reason to get out of bed in the morning. But they're thinking in terms only of helping the person avoid suicide or um, avoid being seriously depressed. But what they're not aware of is that when we have a reason to get up in the morning, when we wake up in the morning and we're excited to get up, when we're excited to get on with our day, when we actually have things to look forward to, we actually, again, improve physiologic functioning. We actually improve our physiologic functioning. And um, and we're happier and, you know, we affect other people uh, in that way and so we all have a, a a responsibility to to live as full and as happy a life as we possibly can. And it, it must be quite challenging. I mean, I I'm lucky in that I do the work that I do. So my reason and will to live came through the support and the love of the people that I work with. Um, so I, I was very blessed with that. And that was a large part of my healing process. But it must be very difficult for people who don't have that kind of support system. And, I mean, mine was, was vastly huge to be able to find that thing that they want to get up for in the morning. Because chronic pain, without my support system, I don't think I would be where I am today. I really don't. I, no, I, I know I wouldn't be where I am today without the support system that I had. It's not a thinking thing. It's a knowing thing um, because I lost that will to go on multiple times, but that just wasn't acceptable in, in the eyes of the people who love me. So how do you, as a doctor, how do you do that for somebody who doesn't have, I mean, is there something that we can do in in our conversation today that might be able to touch the lives of people who are out there listening that would inspire them to find that thing that will make them want to get up tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you touched on a really important point. You know, humans are not meant to live in isolation. Uh, If you go back to before the dawn of civilization, uh, cave people, they were living in communities. Um, There was no organized society, uh, but they were living in community. Um, We can't survive in isolation. In fact, um, you know, because we need that support. We absolutely need that support for our survival. And there have been indigenous peoples. um, I think one of the tribes was uh, known as the Faraday. Faraday or something like that. Um, They were a tribe in Indonesia uh, that's now extinct, unfortunately. Um, And they had no weapons. They had no army. uh, They lived in peace. Unfortunately, there were 
uh, invaders who who uh, had other ideas and, and killed them off. But the way, but what I wanted to say is, the way they dealt with things within their culture is, if someone in that community created what they considered to be a crime, such as uh, sleeping with another man's wife. I mean, women were considered property, and it was considered a crime to sleep with another man's property. And so if a man committed that crime, his penalty was to be ostracized from the community. And the way they did that was everyone in the community would shun him. They would literally turn their backs on him, stop speaking to him. And consistently, in every single case, and these are all, there, there are loads of document, documented cases uh, from anthropologists who, who actually lived in the community with the people, who documented that they actually witnessed this, that when someone in the tribe was ostracized, they died within 30 days. They didn't die of malnutrition. They continued eating. They didn't die of injury. No one physically even touched them. They died of being shunned, of being isolated. So we absolutely, our survival absolutely is dependent upon uh, social support. And so when people are severely injured within a traumatic injury or experience uh, a life-threatening disease or, or a very extremely debilitating chronic medical condition, they absolutely need social support. It doesn't matter how good their medical care is. They need good medical care, but that, no matter how good the medical care is, if that's all they're getting, if they're getting the good medical care, but they're in isolation, they will die. Um, so there are a lot of epidemiological, epidemiological studies. The, the largest one and the most famous one is known as the Alameda County Study, which was a study done in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 1970s. And the scientists followed, um, I think, 17 or 18,000. No, I'm sorry. They followed 11,000 people over the course of 17 years. And over the course of the 17 years, it's a prospective study, they controlled for all the imaginable possible confounding variables. In other words, they controlled for smoking, drinking, eating a fast food diet, not exercising. They controlled for all the possible things that influence health. And what they found after controlling for all these variables, all other things being equal, is that the people who had the best, the strongest social support, the most loving social support community, uh, had the, the best longevity. They had reduced morbidity and mortality among the people with the strongest social support circles. And the people who lived in the most isolated lives, those people had the highest rates of morbidity and mortality. And uh, this study was published 
um, I can't remember where, but it was published in one of the most respected medical journals uh, at that time, you know, about 45 years ago. And there are many other studies like this. Uh, one of the other really big ones was the Tecumseh study. It was a study done in Tecumseh, Michigan. Um, I can't remember the number of people, maybe 5,000 people. And a similar type of study where they, they looked at all of the possible things that make people healthy. And again, they found that social support was the single strongest uh, predictor of who is going to be healthy and who is going to not be healthy. Wow. Yep. It takes a village, somebody said, about something. Oh, wait, that's another show. Um <laughs> <laughs> But um, we're just about at our uh, at our halfway spot, so it's it's probably a good pause for us to insert a uh, a musical break. And uh, I, gosh, I don't know, Gene, uh, Jordan, or or uh, well, let's 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 do Jordan. Jordan's coming back on Monday, by the way. So okay, more yeah. live Jordan, maybe. Let's do a little Jordan. Yeah, okay. more live Jordan coming up. So this will be our this will be, be our here. friend. Um, Jordan Okren, soon to be at the Phoenix Nest. Um, and um, I hear her, tickets are hard to get for the Phoenix Nest, actually. <laughs> oh, just, just kidding. Um, and, Need to be uh, willing to sleep on a couch for now. <laughs> you know, when we come back, we'll we'll uh, see if we can dive a little more into the story of how we how Larry got here, where he is now. This now thing. Yeah. Everyday connection now, right? Yeah. That's now? Oh. And... Uh, so this will be Jordan Okren. You can find him at jordanokren.com if you want to get your copy. And uh, uh, we'll tell you the website again after the song. So get paper and pen while you're up refilling your tea. And we'll be right back. Stay with us, folks. Here and do what you 
our dear friend Jordan Okren with uh, his song When We Run because you know the day of when we run from all these things is past uh, and because that's kind of what we're talking about today you don't just you know oh I've got it's always to me dastardly when the medical community puts a label and you have to label these diseases the way that science works but you know they give you a label oh you've got advanced stage four Meyer, and you just lay down in the corner and say, okay, that's it. You know, Marna, I'm coming to join you. It's the big one. You know, it. And, and, and what we're talking about is it doesn't have to be that way. And even no, if, even if it wasn't capable of doing all these things of prolonging your life and possibly even providing you with a full remission, if you've only got six months to live, do you want to have fun or do you want to lay in the corner and think about dying? I, I don't know. It seems easy to me, but there was a day it didn't seem so easy because, you know, I, I lived many years sort of away from this philosophy. Had it, lost it. But not sure I ever found it. What? 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 Oh. But anyway, we're back with uh, Dr. Larry Burkelhammer and... Uh, uh, having a fantastic conversation. I'm, I'm curious uh, uh, to know, uh, kind of go down this pathway maybe a little bit. Uh, it's interesting to me to, be, to become a, a psychologist, a psychoanalyst that's interested in people that have chronic illness. Um, how did 
how did that become an area of interest for you? I know you said you've got some chronic illness now. Uh, did you have chronic illnesses then? Well, I, I've i always had, uh, even when I was a child, I had some chronic illness. But the way I got interested in this actually started uh, when I was a young child. We used to go out to dinner to a restaurant a couple of times a week, different restaurants each week. Um, my my father was in the wholesale liquor business, and so we would go out to patronize some of the restaurants who were buying the liquor. And I noticed as a child that when if the waiter or waitress had a cold, had the sniffles, within... A very short time after we got home, my father uh, would come down with a cold. And I always thought it was interesting because no one else got sick. Um, and then years later, when I was in high school, in biology class, I learned about what's called incubation period. The incubation period is the time it takes from the time you're exposed to a pathogen like a bacterium or a virus or a fungus, from the time you're exposed to it to the time you become sick, that's considered the incubation period. And what I learned in high school biology was that the incubation period for most respiratory illnesses were ranged from 12 to 36 hours. And I thought, well, this is very odd. I thought back to my father, and how how is it possible if the incubation period is an absolute minimum of 12 hours, how is it possible he was getting sick within an hour or two after we got back from the restaurant? Uh, he was coming down with a cold. Um, so I began to wonder if the mind could play a part. And so I began to read up on uh, what at that time back then was referred to as um, uh, psychosomatic illness. Um, and I began to realize that this is a very real thing. And then from that I became interested in things like like voodoo. And I began to read up on how a voodoo curse can be put on someone and the person ends up dead. But it doesn't work for everyone. So for example, in a, a place like Haiti where people believe in voodoo and practice voodoo, um, if a voodoo uh, master puts a curse on someone who is from that culture, who believes in voodoo, um, that person will be a goner. That person has no chance of surviving the curse. But if the voodoo master puts a curse on someone who for whom voodoo isn't part of their culture, who doesn't be believe in it at all, uh, that voodoo curse isn't going to do any harm at all. And I began to realize the power of the mind. Um, I realized, even as a child, that, well, certainly in adolescence, I began to notice that when I was stressed out about something, I would get a bellyache. Other people would get a backache, some people get a headache, but I began to realize that we all 
experience phys physical symptoms when we're under stress. And I began to realize that, wow, we have the power to make ourselves sick or make ourselves well. So I began to really study this. Um, probably the most profound personal experience I've had was um, in January of 1991. I, at that time, had not yet... Um, well, I, I'll just cut to the chase. In January of 1991, I, I was very, very busy at the time. I was leading a very busy schedule. And one night, I was at home, and I started to feel chills. And uh, started to feel extremely fatigued. And, of course, January is the peak of the flu season. I realized, oh, I probably caught the flu. But I was so busy, I didn't have time to be sick. And I told myself this. And I told myself, I refuse to be sick. And it turned out, I had just turned on the TV to watch. I used to be in the martial arts. And I, at that time, this was before, now the big thing is MMA, mixed martial arts. But at that time, uh, you know, 25 years ago, the thing was um, kickboxing. And I was watching a kickboxing tournament on TV, and I was really into it. And I felt like, I, I, I remember I was standing up. I was really energized. I was standing up. I wasn't sitting down anymore. Standing up, and it was as if I was in the ring fighting. I was so involved, mentally and physically involved. And as I was involved watching this tournament, I was absolutely enraged that I was getting sick. And I made up my mind. I said, I refuse to get sick. And I was pissed. I was so committed to fighting off that virus. I, I absolutely refused to be sick. And I, I actually became convinced. You know, I was so uh, stimulated by watching the karate tournament. Uh, I, I felt so electric and alive. And I, I became absolutely convinced that I was going to kill off that virus, that that virus didn't stand a chance of surviving in my body at that moment. And for the next two hours, I continued watching the tournament and continued uh, my rant about this. But I felt very empowered. I felt absolutely empowered. And I suddenly realized after about two hours, my chills were gone. My fatigue was gone. I felt completely 100% recovered. And so that incident, that one night in January of 1991, changed my life because I realized that we have this kind of power. Um, and then I began to realize, well, if I could cure myself of the flu, can people cure themselves of cancer? Um, and so that one thing led to another. I ended up training for three years with uh, the, the person I was most intrigued with was a man, a two psycho-oncologists, Lawrence Lachan, who wrote Cancer as a Turning Point, and Carl Simonton, Dr. O. Carl Simonton. Um, and I ended up, years later, training at the Simonton Cancer Center. And um, we worked with people with advanced metastatic disease, and we taught them that if you can change your state of mind, 
you can dramatically improve the odds of recovering from the cancer. Not everyone recovered. Most of the people, in fact, who we worked with, they still died from their cancer. But just the fact that some of them beat it, some of them beat the odds when their oncologist told them, you've got three months to live or you've got six weeks to live, just the fact that some of those people went into full, complete, spontaneous remissions um, after completely changing over their changing their lives, changing their lifestyle, and pursuing only the things that really mattered to them, uh, that convinced me that this is worth pursuing. And uh, so I ended up focusing all my attention, limiting my psychotherapy practice exclusively to people with cancer and people with uh, debilitating medical conditions and focus on teaching them these techniques. I'm now retired, but the focus of my website is all about this. And it still fascinates me to know there's nothing in this world that fascinates me more than the ability of the mind to make ourselves sick or make ourselves well. And that we all, every single one of us, have that power. The problem is we just don't know how to access it. So sometimes we make ourselves sick through our state of mind, and sometimes we make ourselves well. And there are things we can practice, but it's very, very, very difficult. And um, and I've known people who practiced all the right things. They still were diagnosed with a deadly cancer, and they still died of the cancer. So you can still do everything right and still... Uh, succumb. And amazingly, there are people who can go through life always angry at everyone, always very negative about everything, and do all the wrong things, smoke and drink and everything, and they live into their 90s. So the world isn't fair, but the reality is um, I've devoted my life to exploring how these things are. Now, I live with uh, a primary immunodeficiency and um, a malabsorption syndrome that led to very severe osteoporosis. Uh, I've lived with two autoimmune diseases, both forms of um, arthritis. And, um, and yet, I'm not on any medications. Uh, and doctors are always surprised. And in fact, when I go in for appointments, I go to UCSF, University of California, San Francisco Medical Center. UCSF is one of the top. It's every year it's rated in the top ten of all the medical centers in the United States. And whenever I go in, the first before my my specialist comes in, I'm usually seen by uh, a medical student or a resident. And the, one of the first questions they ask me is, "What medications are you on?" And I always give them the same answer. I say, oh, I make my own. (laughs) They they look at me like, okay, maybe we need to call a psychiatrist. Yeah, we need a psych consult. Yeah, we need a psych consult. We've got a crazy one here. Uh, They're looking at me like, you make your own. Okay. And I begin to explain to them that, yeah, I make my own. Uh, I don't have a drug lab. It's it's a lab in my head. And then they're still looking at me like I'm weird at that point. 
until I start talking about some of the actual physiologic processes. I I trained in the sciences too, even though I'm, uh, you know, professionally in psychology. I I also did train in the hard sciences. And and um, once I start talking about biochemistry and physiology, then they realize, oh, okay, uh, that makes sense. Um, but it always comes around, and they're interested in, well, what exactly do you do? And I try to explain to them that there aren't any easy formulas, no easy practices. Oh, just go home and do this, and, and you can cure yourself of anything. Unfortunately, um, that's just, just, it's just not that way. It's, uh, it's just not that predictable. But what I tell people is we can always, all of us, every, every single one of us, can improve our odds. We can improve the odds of staying well. We can improve the odds of recovering when we're not well. And if for no other reason than just to live a more full, happy life, we owe it to ourselves to take care of ourselves, to practice good self-care, to practice loving self-acceptance, to practice acceptance of other people. Um, you know, there's this old, expre- ancient expression, um, uh, carrying a grudge is like taking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. No. When we carry a grudge, we are poisoning ourselves. And so we owe it to ourselves to do everything to improve our state of mind and to wake up in the morning and look for things look for things that we can practice. We, that we can appreciate, practice gratitude, look for things that what ask ourselves, what really matters in my life, and then step up to the plate and pursue those things that really matter. And if we do these things, if we live this way, um, even if we don't stay healthy, we will, at the very least, we may not add years to our life, but we will at least add life to our years. And at the top of the list of all the good things we can do is social support. It's absolutely essential to surround ourselves with loving, supportive people. And for people who are in a very uh, difficult, contentious relation, romantic relationship, I say either get out of it, end it, or go into couples therapy and resolve it because... Um, anytime you're staying in a, a stressful relationship, you're killing yourselves. It's absolutely toxic, physically, physiologically toxic. That's we the, are designed. That's the true fatal attraction. Yeah, yeah. We are designed to be happy people, and we all deserve to be happy. We we go around like like that's not the case. We seem to think that we're supposed to suffer, and it's just that's not the way it is. The more that bears repeating. repeating. Um, it, it, it just, you know, we're designed to be happy people. If we don't work right. It's like taking a race car and driving it, you know, back and forth to church once a week. The, the, the little old lady, the fictional little old lady. That race car is going to break down quickly. Just like if you took, you know, your family sedan and tried to drive it with the gas pedal on the floor for hours at the racetrack, it's going to blow up. It's just not designed for that. 
And, and we're not designed to suffer. We're not designed to be miserable. Um, it 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 doesn't work. The systems go offline, and um, I I finally in my life I I knew who I was and what I should be doing, or ought to be doing, or or what would be good for me to be doing when I was in my twenties. But I didn't want to do it, and. So I sought lots of advice. You know, that's what you do when you know the answer, but you don't like it. You get advice. <laughs> and and, um, and so I did all kinds of things, and I dove into careers, and I dove into substances, and I, for years, for 20 years, trying to run away from where I knew I needed to be. And um, and it did it did finally kill me. Fortunately, it killed me in an emergency room, so it wasn't long, but um, it did literally cut my life short. And, you know, my parents, there's no medical history in my family of anything, really. The people in my family die of old age. And um, and here I was in the emergency room, dead momentarily, and, uh, you know, severe pancreatic in pancreas completely not functioning, liver partially gone, kidneys not working right, you know, because you get that cascade inside. Once something fails, everything else starts to go. And um, so it, it literally can kill you. Stay in that bad relationship. You stay in that bad job. You stay in that. It it can kill you. It, it you know, I think. Yeah. If you're going to put the warning labels on cigarettes, then there ought to be a warning label on that job you hate, you know, that you can't, you own, you just do it so that you can keep paying for the car, and paying for the house, all of which are things you think you're supposed to have. It, it, it doesn't work well. And so we end up with a society that's on, you know, 10 happy pills, trying to make up for what's missing, what, what their body would be making anyway, if they were doing what they love, they were... Pursuing their passion, our friend would say. Yes. There's a lot to be said for following the heart. And so, again, in, in with regards to healing and illness and, and, and all of these diseases, which really dis-ease, disease, um, it's it's imperative that you know yourself. So if you do have a chronic condition or terminal illness, and humans are so hard at asking for help, we find that so difficult to show weakness. Um, but, you know, there comes a time in everybody's life, I'm convinced of this, there comes a time in everybody's life where they just have to take a step back and say, this is about me, this is about my well-being, I need to take a step away and focus on getting me better so that I can be a better me to share the better me with the world. And it's okay. It's okay to do that. It's one of the hardest things that that we find to do. I mean, it was one of my most difficult challenges was facing my family and friends and saying, I love your support, I love your everything, but I need to figure out what it is within me that needs to heal. And I dropped everything. I dropped writing, I dropped blogging, I dropped talking to people. And it wasn't that I was trying to shut people out. I just needed a quiet space 
and a moment in time where I could focus on my inner me so that I could find out what I was passionate about and what mattered in my life. And those that those that stuck by me are still with me today and celebrate my success and healing with me. And those that didn't understand, they went away and it really wasn't a big loss because I found in looking back now, the ones that kind of petered out and disappeared were never a support system anyways. They were actually draining me. They were the ones that were expecting things from me and that were judging my situation and my illness. And and so they just naturally went by the wayside and my support system that counted stuck with me. And grew. So it's and grew. And it's really important for people to, to be okay with asking for that space and that time and to make friends with themselves. Get to know themselves. What do you want? What makes you happy? Because that's the thing. You're saying there's no reliable formula. You know, you can't tell people, okay, there's this one peak in Himalayas. If you stand there on one foot for 15 minutes, you'll be healed. It, it, it's not like that because the prescription is as unique as each individual, really. Um, Absolutely. As they're discovering with pharmaceuticals, it, it, it has to be tailored to each individual genetically. Well, okay, so the the emotional, the, the mental, the spiritual, the uh, the larger you, the the thing you mean when you say I is just as unique. And it's it's one of the reasons, one of the things that's my excitement and passion about this show is that we have so many people that come and they they, they all come at it from a slightly different angle. And Which is it, cool. It's my hope that, you know, people listening will hear their angle because not everybody's angle is the same. It's in fact it's they're all different. And that is the the beauty and the color of life on earth is all that diversity. All diversity that also can come together in community and, and uh uh it's hard for people to think about unity like, you know, I don't like the way those people live. Okay, well then you don't get in community with them. But your community can relate with their community without having to have any, you know, well, you don't believe like us, and we're not going to talk to you. That's silly. Um, because, you know, you can always talk about the things you have in common, like eating. You know, what do you guys eat? Is that any good over there? Give me some of that, you know. <laughs> really, it's like the old family picnic, you know, just stick your fork in their plate. Come on. But... The you can't be in community if you're not okay, if you're not knowing yourself because you don't know what community you belong in. And you may be trying to fit into the community you were told you should belong in, like I did for 45 years. Mm-hmm. Fatal that, must assure you, fatal that. Keep my lab reports with me just in case somebody wonders. Um <laughs> Actually, going to throw those away because I, I, but who needs them? I know that we do have. You better know. Yeah, I am, and uh, have been to see the doctors at the medical center in Houston, Methodist Hospital, another one of those that's right on up there, and uh, 
have professional opinion on my side now. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Okay. I have my plane ticket. I'm going back to Costa Rica. Bye-bye. And, and you know, we've had stories of people gone to Hawaii, gone to what? It, that's not it for everybody, or we'd all be in Costa Rica and be healthy. But, um, you know, some people and would private. hate it here. Yeah, some people Same. would hate it here. Well, yeah, just saying. It's a small country. But, um, you know, and it... It might not mean it might not mean you know flying off there. I've got friends that they just love the frenetic energy of the city. Okay, good. Okay, go. Um, Somebody and, has to live there. Well, it's it it's why all these things are here. Is your things here somewhere? It's a big earth, and uh, we we highly encourage you to find it. Uh, but I know that we do have several uh, medical professionals, uh, uh, chief nurse that works in a very similar way to you working uh, out in uh, L.A. and uh, uh, several others. And I know that you you uh, are available for speaking, and you have that, uh, that benefit of that dual dual thing. You've, you've been a patient, and you're also a professional, so you, you have uh, speaking see topics. Both sides. Well, yeah, you have speaking topics that also that are groomed for both, that you can go speak to a group of professionals or you can go speak to a group of patients. Uh, so we want to be sure that those guys that, that are listening know how to find you. Uh, and it's it, it, fairly simple. I guess the best place for them to start would be your website, uh, which is LarryBerkelhammer.com. That's uh, B-E-R-K-E-L. H A M M E R. So LarryBerkelhammer.com, dot com, and uh, you can just click on speaking events and the information on uh, a, a, a little brief summary of these ninety minute presentations, thirty to ninety minute presentations, is available there, and uh, and also your video interviews and uh, articles and uh, a great set of resources. Uh, Mindfulness and intention, and and uh, because mindfulness practice isn't it for everybody, but it is for some, and 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 so that's kind of what you've done. But you, through your career, you've seen that that it really it makes a tremendous difference, if not all the difference, in your odds, uh, your state of mind and state of being, state of being that matters not situation as much, right? Yeah, it's, it's all in, in the state of mind because the state of mind determines the state of being. Um, you know, we, we're we not static. I mean, we're, we have thoughts going in and out of our heads every minute, and the nature of those thoughts create physiologic correlates. Uh, if I'm having a thought that makes me sad, that's going to affect me affect my physiology one way. If I'm having a thought that makes me feel angry, that is going to affect me physiologically in another way. Um, I, I would like to leave people with a, a quote by the first president of the Institute for Noetic Sciences, uh, a Dr. Willis Harmon. He was a professor at Stanford. And I just love something he said, which is, uh, I, I've never heard anything like this. 
because it's so true. He said, perhaps the only limits to the human mind are those we believe in. <laughs> I would have to agree. That's, Ooh, that's pretty awesome. Juicy. Yeah, that's a juicy one. The only limits are the ones we believe in. What a great thought to end the show on. That is a wonderful thought to leave people with. That's a that's a big one right there, people. You can dig around in there for, I don't know, 90 years. Yeah, easily. Larry, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time, talent, and treasure with us. Uh, it's been a joy having you on the show. Well, thank you, Rick, and thank you, Gene. I enjoyed being on the show. Such a pleasure. Larry, you're awesome. I, I love I, I love the scientific angle uh, that you're coming from. Really, I, I mean, not that I needed confirmation because I've done it myself and I've been with Frick through his process of doing it, so we know that this works. To, but to have it scientifically explained as to why it works chemically is, is always heartening. It's nice to see science and spirituality and, merge and be able to tell people look it's really real really like really really <laughs> we weren't true. kidding when we said it was real it was really real we really and real doesn't that what really means is real <laughs> a lot <clears throat> and and i do hope our friends will go by and uh, check out your website at larry uh, again i hope everybody will come by our website as well at everydayconnection.me um Right round 300 hours of conversation, just like this. Brilliance pops right out. It's amazing. And uh, sign up for our newsletter. It's in the first thing in the right-hand column. Uh, that's how we'll keep you knowing who's coming and what we have in store for you. And, uh, and it, you know, possibilities of video and you actually get to see all of us talking. Does that mean mm-hmm. I can't do the show in my pajamas anymore, Jean? When we do early morning shows? Your pajamas. Yeah. Okay, it good. Depends on what you're comfortable in. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes we do shows Carry at 8, on, a- my friend. 8 a.m. Costa Rica time, and I'm often in my jammies at 8 a.m. Um, just saying. Uh, so there you go. You we sign up for the newsletter. You, you might have pajama party, everyday, everyday connection. We could call that one every night connection. Oh. Um, So check us out, and we hope that you will join us again next time. But uh, until then. To our mother, to each other, and especially to yourself, stay connected. Have a great now, everybody. Join Jane and Rick again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and subscribe for news and updates. Stop by their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection and join the conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection.
you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. 